This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com forward slash free books to download this book as a PDF. Through New Eyes Developing a Biblical View of the World James B. Jordan Copyright 1988 Published by Wolgamoth and Hyatt Brentwood, Tennessee Part 4 The Movement of History Guide me O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land, I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Open now the crystal fountain, whence the healing stream doth flow. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all the journey through. Strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction. Land me safe on Canaan's side. Song of praises I will ever give to thee. William Williams 13. The World of Noah We have already looked at the rite of world transformation in chapter 10. We now begin to apply it to the world and to humanity. We shall find that biblical history follows the following pattern. After the fall of man, the world entered into a decline. This decline is always a prelude to God's first step, which is his taking hold of the situation. God comes to a man, a prophet, and announces judgment on the old world, and his intention to form a new world. To use the language of the Bible, God announces the destruction of the old heavens and earth, and his intention to create a new heavens and earth. For instance, at the flood, the first physical heavens and earth were destroyed and a new physical heavens and earth were set up, which will endure until the return of Christ. At the cross and resurrection of our Lord, the old Adamic heavens and earth were shaken down, and new heavens and earth were set up, with the God-man seated on the heavenly throne. Thus, in a judicial sense, the new heavens and earth began at that time. At the end of history, the present heavens and earth will be transfigured into the fullness of the new heavens and earth. But each time God brought judgment on his people during the Old Covenant, there was a sense in which an old heavens and earth was replaced with a new one. New rulers were set up. A new symbolic world model was built. Tabernacle, temple, and so forth. So God's first step, in the terms of the formula we have chosen to use to organize our material, is his laying hold of the situation, his announcement that he is going to change the world. We shall call this phase of history God's announcement. Second, having grasped his people in his hand, God moves them from one place to another, from one situation to another, from one world to another. We shall call this transition an exodus. The exodus from Egypt is the most celebrated of these transitions, but hardly the first or the last, as we shall see. The end result of this exodus or transition is the establishment of a new world order. Third, once the exodus has been accomplished, God gives his word of promise and command. He distributes the new world to his people and gives them laws and rules to obey as they exercise dominion over it. In connection with this, God sets up a symbolic world model as a sanctuary. We shall call this stage by the word establishment. Fourth, once the new world order has been established, God gets history moving again. This post-establishment history is a time when God makes evaluations of his people in terms of their faithfulness or disobedience. It is a time of the application of positive and negative sanctions in terms of the Treaty of Covenant set up at the establishment. 
Before the cross, this phase was always a time of decline toward judgment. After the cross, we have a promise that it will be a time of growth. See chapters 18 and 19 on this. We shall call this phase by the phrase, history and decline. Fifth and finally, God comes in judgment. His judgment, however, is always simultaneously an announcement of his intention to create a new world, and so the cycle or spiral begins again. In Genesis 1, this fifth point was God's Sabbath, his rest. After tasting and evaluating, we said, comes relaxing and enjoying. Because of the sin of man, however, God kept having to start up new worlds instead of relaxing in the existing one. With the coming of Jesus Christ, however, this cycle is broken. God is willing to relax and enjoy the kingdom, knowing that it can never fail. There are two observations I wish to make at this point, before we turn our attention to Noah. First, God's coming to his people to make evaluations is a Sabbath phenomenon, also termed Day of the Lord or Lord's Day. The Sabbath was the seventh day of God's week of creation, but the first full day of man's week. Thus, the time of Sabbath, of judgment, and evaluation is simultaneously the last day of an old week and the first day of a new week. It is a time of covenant renewal, and thus of worship. The worship service, then, should be a time of leaving behind the old world of the previous week and receiving the gift of the kingdom, the new world, for the new week. Second, this sequence helps us understand better the biblical view of time. In traditional paganism, time and history are conceived of as a bondage from which you want to escape through religious activity. In Christianity, however, time is opportunity. The succession of moments continues to put before us new choices and new opportunities to do better than we have done before. The Christian view of time is also linear rather than cyclical. In paganism, time and history are a series of endless cycles in which no real progress is or can ever be made. Christianity, however, sees real progress in history, as each new world is more glorious than the one before. The Christian view of time is, however, not linear in the modern secular sense, a succession of moments without meaning. Rather, time and history are rhythmical, that is, there are fundamental parts that repeat. There are indeed historical cycles, but they are spirals, not circles. The fact that the patterns repeat with variations is of course related to what we have mentioned earlier which is that the biblical view of history is fundamentally typological. Finally, the Christian view of time is liturgical. We begin in Sabbath at the throne of God, move out into the world and work, and then return at the Lord's Day for His evaluation and blessing. All history proceeds from God's Alpha and develops into His never-ending Omega. Announcement After the sin of man in the Garden of Eden and his expulsion, we read of the sin of Cain in the land of Eden, and his expulsion. Cain went out and built a city, a city basically built on his brother's blood. This city became a city of blood, and in the seventh generation from Adam, we find the murderer, Lamech, celebrating his violence in song, Genesis 4. The seventh from Adam in the line of godly Seth was Enoch, who walked with God and was taken to heaven after living a year of years in this world, Genesis 5, 23-24. It seems, though, that the godly line of Seth fell away. Three generations later, only Noah was left to find favor in God's sight. What happened? I believe that the line of Seth committed the sin of intermarriage with the line of Cain, and that this is what is meant by the statement that the sons of God, Sethites, saw that the daughters of men, Cainites, were fair, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Genesis 6, verse 2. 
There are other views of this passage, but this is the only interpretation that provides an explanation of why the Sethites disappeared. Notice that the Sethites committed the sin of Adam in the garden. Just as the forbidden fruit was seen to be fair, so were the daughters of the Canaanites. Genesis 3 verse 6. God made a preliminary judgment, recorded in Genesis 6 verse 3, and gave humanity 120 years to repent. We shall find that God always gives preliminary judgments and opportunities to repent before bringing in full judgment. Things continued to get worse, however, and eventually God determined to destroy the world. Simultaneously, he laid hold of Noah and told him that he and his family would be saved. Exodus Noah was told to make the ark. During the flood year, the only land that was emergent from the sea was the ark. Thus, the ark was the only human habitat in the world. Additionally, the ark was a world model composed of three decks. Meredith G. Klein has written that the ark was a spiral house of God, which has its symbolic external prototypes in the Creator's cosmic house of heaven and earth, and later in Israel's microcosmic tabernacle and temple. What is now to be observed is that the design of the ark suggested that it was intended to be a representation of God's kingdom in this cosmic house form. For the ark, however seaworthy, was fashioned like a house rather than like a sailing vessel. All the features mentioned in the description of the ark belong to the architecture of a house, the three stories, the door, the window. Klein goes on to note that the three stories of the ark correspond with the heavens above, the earth beneath, and the waters under the earth. The lowest deck may be associated with the crawling things, for they burrow in the earth to some extent. Or it may be that the lowest deck is associated with the water under the earth, simply because it was submerged in the deepest. As we have seen, there is a rough correlation between the three land environments and the three spatial environments, so that crawling things are parallel to sea creatures and birds to domestic animals, with wild animals parallel to land animals in general. Klein writes clearly, the window of the ark is the counterpart to the window of heaven referred to in this narrative, 7, verse 11, 8, verse 2. Appropriately, the window area is located along the top of the ark as part of the upper heavenly story. One is naturally led then to compare the door of the ark with the door that shuts up the depths of the sea, holding back its proud waves. For this cosmological imagery, see Job 38, verse 8 through 11. Even though God did not tell Noah to put the birds in the top story, beasts in the middle, and creeping things in the lowest. Yet every time the animals were mentioned, they are listed broken down into categories, creating an in-context conceptual parallel. Another aspect of the ark as world model is the fact that God dictated its dimensions to Noah, something only done when a world model is being set up. Thus the ark was a world model, and as such has always been regarded as a type of the church, God's new creation. Additionally, the ark was made of wood. What else would it have been made of? God's command to make it of wood seems unnecessary and superfluous, except for the spiritual association of wood with trees. In chapter 7, we noted that the various periods of history are associated with various trees. The gopher wood of the ark is peculiar to it. In fact, no one knows what gopher wood is. Like the tabernacle and temple, the ark of wood was a picture of God's Edenic grove. This exodus was a holy, miraculous event. A few moments' meditation will show just how extraordinary it was. First, it involved a miracle for all the animals to come to Noah and enter the ark. We should consider this parallel to the movement of God's people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, remembering that animals are images of humanity. Second, it involved a miracle for these animals to be at peace with one another. 
During the wilderness wanderings, God performed many miracles, miracles of judgment, to force the people to keep peace and to put down rebellion. Numbers 11, verse 1-3, Numbers 16-17. through 17. Third, feeding and caring for these animals involves some kind of miracle. It would not have been possible to carry on the ark enough food to feed all these animals for a whole year. God fed Israel with manna in the wilderness, and it is easy to imagine that something similar happened here. Then again, perhaps many of the animals hibernated for the whole year. Thus, the Exodus transition was accomplished by a whole series of miracles. While Noah and his family were sustained on the ark, the angels were busy remaking the world. They were burying animals to make oil and plants to make coal, and in many other ways preparing a new world for humanity. A detailed study of the flood will reveal many recreation motifs at work. The subsiding waters revealed the land just as in the creation week. The dove hovering over the water recalls the spirits hovering at creation, and the dove's spirit hovering over our Lord at his baptismal inauguration of the new covenant. Establishment With the resting of the ark, we have a transferring of the world model to the world. We shall see this again at Mount Sinai, when the configuration of the mountain is transferred to the configuration of the tabernacle. Here with Noah we find that the triple-decker ark becomes a model for a new triple-decker world. The waters recede, and the world is made anew after the image of the model. The arrival of the ark is like the arrival of Israel on Canaan. God gave the world anew to Noah, telling him to be fruitful and multiply in the new creation. Genesis 8, verse 16-17 God promised that this new world would be permanent, and that he would act to prevent man's sinfulness from ever again maturing from youth to full age. Genesis 8, verse 21 With this new heaven and earth came a change in God's covenant arrangements. God allowed Noah and his descendants to eat meat, apparently for the first time, and forbade the drinking of blood. Parallel to the drinking of blood is the shedding of blood in murder, and God also bestowed on man for the first time the right and privilege to sit as judge and execute murderers. Genesis 9, verse 2-7 Associated with this new privilege was a robe of authority, signifying man's new estate as judge. God gave a special sign for the new Noahic covenant. He placed his war bow in the sky as the rainbow. Genesis 9, verse 12-17 The war bow, God's weapon, is parallel to the flaming sword of the cherubim. Genesis 3, verse 24 This being the special sign of the Adamic covenant under judgment. We are to the point now of summarizing the ways in which this new establishment parallels the first establishment in Genesis 1-3. through 3. First, the new triple-decker world is like the first one, except that the new one is permanent. Second, the new high ground, Holy Mountain, is Ararat. As we have seen, this is probably the same location as Eden originally. Humanity will proceed from Ararat as they proceeded from Eden. Also, in terms of future parallels, Note that the resting of God's house, the divinely designed ark, on the top of Ararat, is parallel to the placement of the temple on top of Mount Moriah. Third, as there was a garden in Eden, so Noah planted a vineyard. As Adam sinned in the garden, so Ham sinned in the vineyard. Genesis 9, verse 18-27 As Adam sees at a symbol of the as-yet-forbidden prerogative of rulership, so Ham sees at Noah's robe of authority. Fourth, God judged Adam. So Noah judged Ham. This change came about because God had committed judgment into human hands and given Noah a robe of authority as symbol of his office. Noah was a new Adam, but a glorified Adam, an Adam who had some of God's office bestowed on him. Unlike Adam in the garden, Noah was a prophet. 
Noah judged Ham the way Adam was supposed to judge the serpent. Noah judged Ham the way God judged Adam. There are parallels, but there is also an advance in glory. History is not cyclical, but spiral. Fifth, there is a parallel, as mentioned, between the flaming sword of God's wrath and his unstrung war bow of peace. The garden and the flaming sword were gone, though the latter would continue to play a role in the tabernacle and temple until the coming of the new covenant. There has been, however, a very real and important change from wrath to grace. Although Noah's vineyard designedly reminds us of the Garden of Eden, yet there is an important difference. Noah's vineyard was not God's garden sanctuary. In the world immediately after the flood, there was no garden sanctuary, nor was there a holy land. Remember that God originally created the world, and then set apart the land of Eden, finally planting a garden sanctuary in Eden. We find the same sequence after the flood. Until the time of Abram, there was no special land set apart. Until the time of the tabernacle and its courtyard, there was no earthly garden sanctuary in the world. So, what was this new heavens and earth after the flood like? Well, first, in terms of world structure, we have the 70 nations of the world given in Genesis 10. Although the number of nations in the world soon grew beyond 70, the symbolic number of the nation remained 70 in the Bible. Before the flood, the land of Eden had been dominant over the whole earth. All the rivers came from Eden. After the fall of man, the land of Nod, with its counterfeit city sanctuary, Enoch dominated the world. Genesis 4:16-24. There was a one-state world, ruled by the Nephilim, mighty men. Genesis 6, verse 4. There were not many nations, though various lands had been listed in Genesis 2. Rather, there were simply two genealogical lines, and the line of Cain came to dominate the world. After the flood, however, there were seventy nations, and no one world state. Second, in these seventy nations we have city-states ruled over by priest-kings. The preeminent biblical example of this is Melchizedek, who was priest of God Most High, and also king of Salem, later Jerusalem. Genesis 14, verse 14 through 22. This rule by priest-kings, or by kings and priests, chiefs and medicine men, together, is an advancement over the situation before the flood. Thus, the political heavens before the flood were the mighty men who dominated the whole earth. While after the flood, the political heavens were the priest-kings of the seventy separated nations. Some of the priest-kings were godly, and some were ungodly. But whatever the case, we have moved into a new heavens and earth with nations and city-states. This would continue to be the situation in the world at large until the time of Israel's exile, when we move into the world imperial stage of history. For as long as Israel remained a nation, however, the Gentile world was also organized into nations with city-state capitals. Third, as just noted, the name of God in use among the nations was God Most High. God Most High was regarded as possessor of heaven and earth, a name of international significance. Melchizedek, priest of God Most High, Genesis 14, verse 18, blessed Abram with these words, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. 14, verse 19 through 20. The name God gave the Hebrew patriarchs was God Almighty, the God who has the ability to fulfill his promises. Genesis 17, verse 1, 28, verse 3, 35, verse 11, 48, verse 3. Melchizedek, however, used the Gentile name. Note also what Abram said to the king of Sodom. I have sworn to the Lord, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, 
that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours. 14 verse 22 through 23. Abram identified his own God, the Lord, with the one known among the Gentiles as God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. In summary, the world established under the Noahic covenant had the following aspects. Names, God, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, people, God fears, Acts 10, verse 2, 22, 35, 13, verse 16, and 26. The grant, the whole earth. The promise, no future flood. Stipulations, sacramental, no drinking of blood. Societal, no murder. Polity, priest kings with the right to put murderers to death, ruling separate nations. Symbol, the 70 nations of the world. History and decline. Adam rebelled and was cast from the garden. Ham rebelled and was cursed from Noah's vineyard. After Adam's sin, Cain became a murderer and went out and built the city. After Ham's sin, the Hamite Nimrod became a mighty hunter, of men by implication, and built the city, the Tower of Babel. Genesis 10, verse 8 through 12, 11, verse 1 through 9. God had put away his war bow, but man had not. The city of the Prince of Peace is made of rainbow jewels. The city of this prince of hunters was made of mud bricks. God had promised, however, to cut off man's sin in its youth. Ham, Noah's youngest son, Genesis 9 verse 24, had been prevented from seizing forbidden fruit. Now Nimrod, the new Cain, would be prevented from attaining the heights of power and the depths of depravity of Cain and Lamech of old. His city was cut down. Nimrod was attempting at the Tower of Babel to recreate the pre-flood world. His goal was a one-state world, with his mighty men, his Neo-Nephilim, in charge. By scattering the people from Babel, God created the seventy nations of the world, enforcing the post-flood polity. Having failed at Babylon, Nimrod went out and created Nineveh and Assyria, Genesis 10, verse 10-11. Thus, both of these two mighty hunter-conqueror cultures were created by one man, who was carefully carrying on the policy of Cain. Both Babylon and Nineveh are to be seen as extensions of Enoch, the city of Cain. God's judgment on the Tower of Babel, however, was accompanied, as always, with the new announcement of salvation. All the things that man had sinfully tried to seize at Babel, land, name, priestly influence, God announced that he would bestow upon Abraham. They had wanted land, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth, Genesis 11, verse 4. God, however, scattered them, 11, verse 8 and gave land to Abram. Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I shall show you. Genesis 12, verse 1. They had wanted a name, and let us make for ourselves a name. Genesis 11, verse 4. God, however, confused their languages, so that they could not understand one another's names. 11, verse 7. And gave a great name to Abram. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. Genesis 12, verse 2. Finally, they had wanted to be religious leaders. Their tower was to reach heaven. They would be the points of contact between other men and God. Genesis 11, verse 4. God, however, prevented their tower building, 11, verse 8, and set up Abram and his seed as a priestly nation. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the ground shall be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 2 through 3. This brings us to the world of patriarchs, which we must now consider. 
The God of Abram praise, who reigns enthroned above, ancient of everlasting days and God of love. Jehovah great I am, by earth and heaven confessed. I bow and bless the sacred name, forever blessed. The God of Abram praise, at whose supreme command, for earth I rise and seek the joys at his right hand. I all on earth forsake its wisdom, fame, and power, and him my only portion make, my shield and tower. God of Abram praise, whose all-sufficient grace shall guide me all my happy days in all my ways. He calls a worm his friend, he calls himself my God, and he shall save me to the end through Jesus' blood. He by himself hath sworn, I on his oath depend, I shall on eagle's wing upborne to heaven ascend. I shall behold his face, I shall his power adore, and sing the wonders of his grace forevermore. Thomas Oliver's The God of Abram Praise, a Christian paraphrase of the Yigdal. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.